Have you ever wondered whether the problems in the world today would exist if we had deeper connection to ourselves, others, and the environment, and acted from that place? Welcome to the Conscious Action Podcast with your hosts, Brian Burneman and Kayla Grimble, who believe that connection is the key to taking conscious action as individuals and creating a better world. We are here to raise awareness and inspire meaningful action by sharing stories, knowledge, and conversations with thought leaders and change makers. From sustainability to well-being and everything related to conscious living, our mission is to empower you to be the change that you want to see in the world. Welcome to a new episode of the Conscious Action Podcast. I'm Brian, and for this episode, uh, we have two guests that are here with us, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves in a moment. I always ask everyone to introduce themselves because I never feel like I can make um, enough justice to who you are as people if I just say like, oh, these guys are from here, 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 or they have done this, this, that. So welcome, and thank you for being here, Hannah and Liam. And I'm going to pass it to you to introduce yourselves. Kia ora, Brian. Thank you for having us on the podcast. It's really lovely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm Hannah. I'm Liam. And we run a project called The Rubbish Trip. So we, since July 2017, have travelled New Zealand full-time, giving free talks and presentations all about how individuals can reduce their household rubbish. And our talks are based on our own research and experience. We've lived without a rubbish bin for almost five and a half years now. Mm. So, yeah, pretty much um, zero waste fanatics um, and living a really interesting lifestyle for the last three years. But uh, I'm sure along with many people, that's changed a lot in these current circumstances with um, COVID-19. But it's been a really interesting opportunity for us to think about the future, think about how things might change um, for the better as well and how we can transition our way of life um, in a different way that can help help support a, a more sustainable world in these uncertain times. So interesting times. Yes, interesting times. And and one of the, the things that that I find around this time is that I I find it's just an amazing opportunity. And of course there's some of us that will have much more challenging situations and some of us might have much easier situation but this time that has been this stop in the world for most people and this time for okay like i can sit down i need to be at home i need to reassess how i'm living um and i find this incredible for people that are not especially on this journey like as you say like since like 2017 you've been working on this project and like for the last five years you haven't had a rubbish bin but we we are still the the minority the ones that we are in this path so what have you noticed during this time particularly for you um, but also for the people that you've been talking to or that you've seen around yeah, it's interesting, like if we take it like really narrow uh, observations of zero waste generally, like a lot of people when we first started going into lockdown, were really concerned that this was going to make it really difficult to maintain waste reducing behaviours and recycling systems were collapsing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what we found actually, we've managed to maintain our zero waste lifestyle all through lockdown. 
virtually unchanged. And what's interesting is that a lot of the behaviours that help you to navigate lockdown are actually quite similar to the kind of behaviours that help you to live zero waste, particularly things like being flexible. You know, when we're in ordinary times uh, and we want to buy something and the only option is something packaged, then we just actually say, oh, well, do we really need this? Probably not. We'll just substitute with something else. And it's the same with lockdown. Something that we ordinarily get might not be available unpackaged during lockdown. We just go without it and we just get something else. Um, also, being able to make things from scratch, make do with what you have um, available to you at any one time. That's a really important part of zero waste living, being resourceful. And that also fits completely with lockdown living, just making do, you know, there's no flower anywhere. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to use something else. Um, and also being creative is a huge part of zero waste living, finding solutions to tricky problems. And again, with lockdown, that's been really uh, beneficial um, habit and practice to have in place. So yeah, for us, we've actually found that having that entire nation go into lockdown, probably a lot of people are living more similarly to how we would ordinarily live. Mm. So that's on a, I suppose, a personal um, lifestyle level. But I, I, we both noticed as well that because of this pause, as you mentioned, and, and this opportunity to see things from a different perspective, I think people have reassessed the kind of business as usual things and, um, you know, Initially, it was like this kind of really stark trauma and people didn't know what to do. There's a lot of confusion and like we're working with, we're, we're working with, um, you know, businesses and stores who are really committed to zero waste, um, who, who, who really struggled actually because there was confusing um, messages coming from government about whether they were allowed to be open during lockdown and not and all these sorts of things and, um, and the, the kind of potential spillover effects of that of, you know, putting their suppliers out of business and things like that. And there was a lot of confusion. But I think now things are starting to settle a little bit and people are um, realizing that, yeah, it is this opportunity to actually redesign how we do things, how we get food to people, um, how our supply chains work, how we package food, how we buy food, how we consume, um, you know, all these really fundamental questions about, you know, how we access the necessities of life, how we feed ourselves and, and, and all that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, and we've actually, you know, um, we found there's, there's a, of course, it's still within a select number of people, but there's, there's this new appetite people have to take this opportunity. Let's put in, into place, not just something that's going to last for the, pandemic, but something that can be really long-term, a real fundamental change in the way that we run our business or the way that we structure, um, yeah, our economy and, you know, all these things. So, yeah, that's been actually really exciting. Although, of course, again, yep, as you said, the trauma, but the opportunities are already starting to be, you know, the first steps are starting to be taken. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting. I find that one of the aspects that I noticed from the past 10, 15 years in my life is that a lot of the actions that can be taken by living a more simple lifestyle are actually quite conducive to becoming more zero waste or reducing our footprint and 
having better relationships and having a more connected space with nature and other people. And there's so many aspects that it's not just zero waste. And, and it's one of the things that I find with this time that people were able to slow down. And as you say, like people can make some food from scratch, like whether they have flour or not, like they're able to, to do that. And, and reconnect with that part that has been missing because of the busyness of life. Like a lot of people, and I see this with a lot of my clients, it's like busy, 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 I don't have time. Well, now suddenly a lot of people have time. They're at home. They need to talk to their housemates or they need to talk to their spouse or their partners and how all of this time has created, as you were just saying, Liam, this opportunities even though there's a lot of challenges and trauma there's a lot of opportunities and i wanted to to go to one question i sent you guys some questions before and i'm going to to ask you the first one um and the first one has to do of course this is conscious action and the first one is which is the conscious the unconscious action that you used to do that you can't believe now that that you used to and that can be a big one or a small one but just to to get us into the conversation yeah yeah i mean there's probably so many unconscious actions that we used to do that horrify us now um and there's probably many we're still doing that in about a year five years ten years we'll be like oh my goodness but um to pick just one for me and we'll we'll each share yeah. a different one because it's quite it's personal but um for me like you know now we live this zero waste lifestyle and we're so hyper mindful of anything that might end up going into a rubbish bin or even a recycling bin what i think is really interesting is looking back in the lead up to our decision to live without a rubbish bin for many years before that, we had already been quite waste conscious and we did all these little ritualistic behaviors to reduce waste, you know, bringing a reusable shopping bag to the supermarket, always having a reusable water bottle, always having a keep cup if we got, got coffee on the go or whatever. We already did all these little things, but somehow we still had this massive blind spot about the fact that we were still producing rubbish, uh, particularly associated with our grocery shopping. And it was almost like um, that like it, that wasn't real rubbish somehow, or that we felt that it wasn't something we could control, so we didn't question it or anything like that. And looking back now, yeah, it was like this unconscious action of just always buying food the way that we thought we had to at the supermarkets or whatever and producing all of this waste. And looking back now, you know, like it's like we couldn't, we, yeah, it would be really difficult for us to go back on on those practices that we've changed now. And every time that we bring anything into our life, we'll consider what's going to happen to this if we no longer need it. Um, that's completely transformed now. Like we were yeah, very mindful. Yeah, we used to like, I remember just getting things just because they were available and never sort of questioning whether there was an alternative to that thing, you know, like, Oh, I, I'm thirsty, I need some water. Oh, there's a water fountain and there's a plastic cup. I didn't even think, can I avoid the plastic cup in, in some way? You know, it was just, it was there and I needed water, so I'll take it, you know. So, yeah, that's completely changed for us. But to kind of maybe maybe expand on, on or extend, go forward from what Hannah was saying to um, even once we had committed to 
you know, reducing our waste. And in the initial, um, the initial part of our journey, it was all about plastic. Um, and it was really interesting because we focused so much on plastic. And of course, single-use plastic is such a massive issue. We didn't actually consider all the other types of waste, all the different materials and stuff and the impact that they might have. And like, for example, we were like, okay, we're going plastic-free. We're going to have to shop in bulk bins. Let's go and get a whole bunch of paper bags. And we bought this big stack of brand new brown paper bags that we were going to use you know when i think we ended up using about 10 of them because we realized we didn't need a giant stack and then and you know talking to friends and stuff who are knowledgeable in, in these things you know uh, and after doing a bit of research and learning that you know well paper actually has a much higher carbon footprint requires more water to produce um if it goes to landfill it produces methane you know all of these um different problems you know not not the same problems as plastic but different and, and you know equally bad problems um that we just didn't even consider so i think you know um it's it kind of went from just being about a material and being about the way that we consume um regardless of what the materials are so i yeah. think it's an interesting lesson too in that like the, the the reasons that trigger people into lifestyle change may actually be quite different to the reasons that motivate them to continue with that lifestyle change like for us we were very focused on the plastic crisis when we decided to go rubbish free but now the plastic crisis is actually secondary to our desire to to live a zero waste lifestyle and for us now zero waste is more about resource and energy efficiency in the context of the climate crisis and and it goes without saying that if you use resources and energy efficiently you're not going to be producing single-use plastics but um that's part of a much bigger picture so so yeah it is interesting how these things can transform yeah, and, and the reason why um, I, I love this question, and I know that it's a challenging question to think back and things like that, but the reason for me why it's so important is for everyone that is listening to understand that no one was perfect. Mm. Like when, when I started my own journey of reducing my own footprint, I didn't know what I know now. As you say, like I started with something and then suddenly i started realizing oh wait that that i'm doing is actually like i'm creating a similar problem just from a different aspect and and this is all about learning and going on a journey of discovering based on as you say like what i care about and it's not going to be what i care about the same as you care about but the more that i learn and the more that i can be kind with myself and with others about where we are all at because yeah it's like five years ago i wasn't where i am now like i have here and i like this is my rubbish from the last two years wow. amazing and like before that this like i i didn't do this just because like i started doing this at one point when i started like doing events and talks and i thought like you know it's good to show something Mm. But but I have this little jar that was a, like I think that was peanut butter, and and it's something that that I put there. But more than anything, it's for me. But before I didn't know, like I was living a life that I I grew up in Argentina, 
meat-eating country, like a lot of waste, and people didn't even think like like it is now. Like I remember when I was a kid, people throwing from their car window, like if they went to McDonald's and just like the takeaways and they ate it in the car and then they throw it out the window. And that was a normal thing in terms of rubbish. And and I thought, I, like, in my family, we did that, I think. Like, I can't remember exactly when I was a kid, but I see the transformation and the path that I've had. And, and it's so incredible. And it's something that I keep on reminding people that is, you don't have to know everything. And yeah. where you are now, it's not where you were before. So being kind and, and keep on having that curiosity of what you care about and where are you going with that. Yeah. And with that, I would love to know a little bit more for each of you, like a little bit about like, your childhood or your upbringing and seeing how those um, those experiences perhaps shaped the person that you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my, my, I think what maybe the, one thing I can think of which was maybe an influence from my childhood was my father was always really, really interested in issues that no one else was talking about, like and and now which are considered, you know, green issues or whatever. He wasn't he wasn't kind of like a typical hippie or greenie or anything like that. He was a firefighter. Um, but I didn't know anyone else. You know, he was reading in the nineties lots of things about climate change, lots of things about um, peak oil and oil consumption and, and um, all sorts of these things. And at the time, I know I, I didn't really care. I didn't. I wasn't interested in it at all. Um, but I was interested in, in in the fact that he he took it so seriously, and and he would talk about you know um, how he would have conversations with his workmates, and and they thought he was weird and crazy and all this sort of stuff. You know focusing on the stuff and I thought that was that was quite an interesting aspect um, why why do people find it a strange a strange thing that that actually sparked my curiosity rather than the issue itself um, to actually yeah learn more about it so yeah I think I, I guess um, I have my my dad to thank for <laughs> for that at least just sparking that curiosity for me but um, I think yeah that it's hard to, I'd have to spend a lot of time thinking more into my childhood about some of these things that feed into why, why I do the things I do now. But I do remember some, I, I think, you know, there's, there's always been these messages in New Zealand too about um, growing up in New Zealand, you know, be a tidy Kiwi, keep New Zealand beautiful. Some of these um, campaigns about what's the right thing to do with rubbish and, you know, we like to keep our streets tidy and we don't throw our rubbish out the window, whatever. And then when I went traveling, when I finished university, you know, seeing that that wasn't necessarily the case in, in other countries, not because people didn't care necessarily, but because they didn't have a small population like New Zealand did and they didn't have, um, yeah, rubbish trucks and, and whatever that infrastructure to clean it up. So confronting that and and understanding what that meant for me and having those messages comes into me for a long time and actually are we any better in New Zealand just because we put all our stuff into a rubbish bin you know 
that was quite an interesting um, perspective shift just from being in another place, um, which yeah, maybe has informed the way I think now. Yeah, totally different to Liam. Mm. <laughs> um, my parents, like as I was I grew up with both my parents and they're definitely not environmentally minded or they weren't then, definitely not like might know about the environmental issues, but certainly wouldn't take the time to put into practice through lifestyle change or anything like that. But were both like quite politically minded and quite sort of lefty, I suppose, socially. So certainly grew up in a household that with very strongly articulated political views. So into that kind of habit of questioning things. But I think probably one of the key things for me is um, my parents are both um, quite atheist and so no spiritual or religious kind of background as I was growing up. And I think when you grow up without that spiritual um, or religious framework, you do look for meaning outside of those kind of constrictions or also you for me personally what that has meant for me is that my belief is like this is it this is what we have mm. this life this planet this is everything and so it gives me this really strong feeling of the importance of doing everything that we can to make this world as wonderful a place as it can be for all of us who have the amazing opportunity to have this slice of existence um, here. And, you know, I feel this really strong drive to protect what we have and also to be, a, a, to act as a steward. You know, the gratitude that I have to be alive is so huge. And the gratitude I have to the planet, whether or not you see the planet as sort of semi-sentient or not at all, or just a rock that floats around, whatever it is, it's at home. And um, I feel a really strong sense of gratitude and I want to be able to, if I can't give back, at the very least, not make it worse. <laughs> you know, like it's like that thing of you, you know, it's Mother's Day today, like you express gratitude to your your parents for bringing you to this world and for sustaining you and looking after you and I guess it's the same for me with the, with the earth without having that spiritual belief that there is somebody else looking out for us like I don't believe that so you know I really believe it's up to us to work alongside all the species on this planet to look after it so I think that's really strong motivator for me mm, like it's it's so incredible like always for me to to see a little bit and people's background and how with different backgrounds and different understandings and different beliefs, we can still, in a sense, come together in certain areas and, and have the same awareness of, of certain aspects of life, regardless of where we are from and our beliefs. Like I said, like I'm from Argentina, you guys are from New Zealand and like, and I grew up in a very consumeristic life and Liam, you grew up with a parent that cared about some of this stuff and like how how we can all see the sameness even when there's so much difference. And I think that for me, that's one of the most important aspects of where we are going and how 
to achieve our goals as humanity and to work together in more cooperation and collaboration because this is one of the the ways that we need to to do things it's not longer like what we've been doing for a long time it's not working so how how can we change our ways to see okay these are all of the things that unite us these are the things that we can get behind and we can be like yes let's be stewards for the lands yes let's let's leave the place that we're in now better than we found it and that for different people is going to be focusing on different aspects but we can all be part of that all together and how did you guys found each other and found this common um goal of living this like this lifetime so we talked about my very non-spiritual background we met at um bhakti lounge in wellington which is the um iscon krishna consciousness um center in wellington and um, they did yoga and um meditation and delicious vegan meals um so we met there uh and we were together for a while and then i decided to go traveling after uni and and Liam was staying for another year to do his honors so we sort of stayed together but um but we were at long distance for quite a few months and then Liam came over to Europe um for his traveling too and at that point I was working in London for an organization working with people living in poverty um so I worked with them for about a year and Liam would come and see me in London and then carry on traveling and it was in london that i became even more aware about waste issues and um over that year was feeling it really strongly and feeling this thing of working for this organization doing amazing social work but feeling like it was really disconnected to environmental issues and for me the two are so connected and so i don't know why but one day near the end of my time in in London I googled living without a rubbish bin is it that trigger from that photo oh uh, yeah well that was one of the many triggers yeah. this amazing photo um exhibition called seven days of garbage by this US photographer called Greg Segal um but yeah and I, yeah so I just googled living without a rubbish bin and as soon as I pressed go you know what came up was just hundreds of people all around the world who were doing it already and i'm quite like once i know something is possible i just kind of feel like you can't unknow that so i was like yeah i want to do this and so i went to liam who he was there at the time and i said liam if we go back to new zealand would you be keen to try living without a rubbish bin and liam was like yeah let's do it <laughs> in fact i said let's do it now why 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 wait till we go back to new zealand but yeah there was a bit of no no hang on wait a minute we're going to think about this how does it work what does it mean So so yeah so we were already together as we were a wasteful couple and then we transitioned <laughs> to zero waste together you know one it's funny you know people often think what was your eureka moment that you decided to do this and um it's really hard to pinpoint it but one thing that i keep coming back to which is this the tiniest little thing but it actually just keeps triggering it was buying the this breakfast topping packet of seeds it was about 15 grams you know this big packet of seeds it was like maybe 10 times more plastic than those seeds and, more like 100 you know? and that was just like this is this 
as a society, how can we get to this point? This is insane. We're, we've got to change something. What can we do? You know, so that was a, a trigger for me. So, yeah, it was like, why don't we just start now? Let's work it out. And it's step by step. You know, I, I guess that's the, that's the thing that we often try to say. But I think I understood right from the beginning was that it's, it's a step by step process. And I always thought it would be like that's not something you do everything overnight you change absolutely everything you start the journey people talk about the journey it's a journey you start somewhere and you just take one step at a time so um but it's interesting you ask us about this in the context of our relationship because i think that's a really key thing is that for us doing that step 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 by step process but also having someone else to even just bounce the idea off like hey shall we go try living on a bin um I think it made a really big difference. We'll never know because we'll never have the opportunity of starting Zero Waste Alone. But but um, I think that it was really like a shared journey for us and we were able to work off each other's strengths. You know, like Liam loves baking, so that's great. He does the bread. Um, I love doing other things. So, that, you know, like we were able to play off each other's strengths. And one thing we'd noticed um, when we started doing talks, we didn't start doing talks until um, the first 18 months of living without a bin. Um, when we started doing talks, we used first. The first thing we noticed is that most of the people who come to our talks and most of the people who engage with us on social media, we're talking 80%, um, identify as female. Um, so we don't see a lot of men come to our talks, and lots of people come up to us at the end and they say, "I'm really into this, but how do I get my male partner <laughs> to be into this too?" And uh, we don't really know what to say, to be honest, because we don't have that issue. But um, it is a really big thing for people if they have to transition to this lifestyle alone, particularly if they have kids, you know, and you've got one parent who doesn't care and one parent who does, and, you know, it's a real nightmare. So it can be a battle, like, yeah, it can be really, really difficult. So, yeah, we certainly feel like um, our success in reducing waste has been because we're both completely committed to it and have mm. been from the beginning. Um, and we've been able to go so much further than we probably could have done on our own. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah I, and the, I guess the other side of that uh, for us personally is we've been doing this project, the rubbish trip, now for nearly three years, and it has involved us, you know, travelling um, full time, staying in people's homes, um, and we and so basically two of us working, living doing everything together 24-7. Um, and on the one hand, it's like amazing, you, you know, we've been able to sustain it that long and still be together and still be on good terms. But uh, on the other hand, you know, it's a, it's a really, you know, it's it's helped, I think, both, both of us realise that we do need to find a balance in which we can also explore our independent interests. Because, for example, um, my background is in music. I actually studied music, um, studied jazz performance, bachelor's degree, did a master's in, in music. And that's also a really, really important part of my life. And I've basically had to give give that up to a large extent. I've gotten more into it lately, but um, for the last three years. And so finding ways where we can balance these things, you know, as independent people, but also support each other and, and do a shared project. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really interesting dance, I think. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, for the past few years now, I've been like, you know, like, ah, if I find, like, like someone to start dating, like, 
am I already looking for someone that is like zero waste and vegan and like and spiritual or or like or do I need to get out of like that and be just like uh let's see what happens <laughs> like let's see what what comes up but and it's it's really interesting like I see it with my sister she lives in Denmark and her partner wasn't into all of this and now like they they live this lifestyle together even though at the beginning he like he wasn't perhaps experiencing this kind of lifestyle so one of the things that i'm really interested in what you were just saying is as well not only the living together and the working together but the fact that you're traveling around the country and can you share some of your experiences of of traveling around the country and being able to like how are you doing that i know that you guys couch surf so like what what's the experience like as well not only about the rubbish but traveling around the country and meeting people and all these different things yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well it goes back to something you said earlier brian um about you know low waste living is also just about simple living and being more connected to your community to the environment and stuff like that and so a really important part of our project um, has been that community aspect and and also what some people call the sharing economy where rather than you know we transact everything through money actually we just offer our our knowledge and, and our presentations for free and people host us for free and we share things that way and you know and for us it's been an absolutely amazing way of connecting with the, the people in the communities that we that we visit because we stay with the locals um, we really integrate into those community networks um, and yeah and we and because we're staying in so many different people's homes we we really get to see how people live in all sorts of different ways um, but again you know everyone having that same kind of openness and being really generous and kind and hospitable to us you know that kind of core human value of supporting each other um, so that that community building has just been such a fundamental part of what we do but also we see it as just absolutely necessary in order for our society to really um, be able to solve some of these environmental problems that we face we have to start to connect more as communities to find solutions to share skills and resources um, you know particularly between um, people of older generations who who remember a different way of doing things who, who have skills that a lot of younger people don't have anymore um, and passing some of those things on so you know all of those things are so fundamental to um, low waste living and to so many other um, survival skills almost I feel like for the future you know for us too, you know, our relationship with money is also quite odd or like freaks a lot of people out. Like we, because we, from the get go, we're like, we're going to, we're doing our talks for free. We're providing food at our talks for free. Um, we want people to come. We don't want there to be barriers to access. And, you know, we actually don't want to invest time in convincing people that we're worth being paid for because actually that can take up an enormous amount of time. And, um, yeah, we had lots of people in the early days be like, well, how are you going to make this financially sustainable? And almost took it as a moral affront that we'd be offering our knowledge for free. And it's just such an interesting 
phenomenon really because you know we actually you know to what is money for really it's to enable us to have somewhere safe to sleep and to put our stuff and to eat pretty much everything else is unnecessary and so through couch surfing we have you know the shelter and the accommodation uh, and we had a $20 a day budget that we did um, sort through various means and that is more than enough for food um, so what more does one need? I mean, we don't have dependents or anything like that. If we have kids, it might be a different story. Don't know. We haven't had that life experience. But, um, yeah, and it's opened up so many possibilities uh, and we've learned so much through this approach. And I feel like just what Liam was saying, that it's taken us way closer to the kind of lifestyle that helps you to reduce waste than perhaps if we had lots of, income coming through. The other thing that we had to do early on was decide how we would transport ourselves because obviously we're on the road full time. So again, lots of people always ask us, do you have a van? Do you live in a van? We're like, no, we don't live in a van. And the reason for that is to have a van big enough to live in, we'd be emitting a lot of fossil fuels, (laughs) which we didn't want. And we also wouldn't be connecting with the community in the same way. We'd literally just be like arriving and doing our talk and going. so initially we got the smallest car we could possibly find um, that wasn't an EV because we couldn't afford an EV. And so we got this um, Honda Fit and we drove around in that for 18 months, but with bikes on the back. So, you know, we'd arrive and then we'd park the car and then for like three weeks we wouldn't come back to it. We would just cycle everywhere. And then after about 18 months, we were like, we just actually can't justify driving this car anymore. And so we sold it and we just, switched to hitchhiking, public transport and borrowing bikes when we arrived in places and walking. And everybody, again, it was like the money thing. People were like, oh, you'll never be able to do it without a car. It's not possible in New Zealand and blah, 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 blah. And you'll have to rely on people to drive you around and it will take up more carbon emissions and blah, 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 blah. And so we actually logged every single kilometre of transport we did. And including if we got a lift with someone, and who then had to drive back. So it was double the, the journey and a bigger car than a Honda Fit. We calculated all of it, every kilometer for a whole year. And we found that we still saved, I think it was, I can't remember, it's on our website, but it was close to a ton or two tons of CO2 directly from the decision mm. of not having a car. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, and again, it was all sharing through hitchhiking and through hitchhiking, mm. we met people mm. that would never come to our talks. Yeah. Again, that connection, you know, that building community and building dialogue with people that you might not normally, um, you know, uh, mingle with. You know, we, yeah, yeah, so we had the most amazing conversations. And, and the great so thing is, like, because you're in their car and they're doing you a favour and, uh, you know, you know, you, if they say something that you fund, like, we've had quite a few rides with um, climate deniers, you know, yeah. like, you actually have to practise Nonviolent communication, listening um, is really important. Like the kinds of communication styles that, frankly, I find really hard if I'm not locked in a car with someone. Um, so it's really, it's really great, you know, to understand where people are coming from and and all that kind of thing. And find the common ground again, eh? You yeah. Know, like we had this one hitchhiking experience, which was which was quite amusing because it was a farmer down in um, central Otago, and he picked us up and. He just started talking for a while. And he didn't he heard, know what we were doing. Yeah, or he didn't like ask that. us about what he was just talking. And, and very quickly, he started talking about what he called this climate change horse shit. 
you know, and you know, um, talking about how it was all bollocks or whatever. And then, and then a few minutes later, again before asking us anything, he said, "But you know what I think is the real problem? It's rubbish and plastic and waste." And so and let's I talk about like, that. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Tell me more about rubbish and plastic and waste. And we, you know, and we actually, we actually talked, and you know, because as Hannah mentioned earlier, we also see waste as a climate change issue as well. So we actually were able to talk about some of those issues, try to make some of those connections, and probably get a lot further and and kind of mutually understanding each other than if we had have just been like. Oh no, climate change is real. What are you talking about? You know, so actually it was, yeah. And so the most important thing to remember too is this person was kind enough to mm. see us, stop his car, pick us up, put our thousand and one suitcases in his bag because we travel <laughs> with a lot of crap. Like fundamentally, this person is a good person mm. who does, just happens to have a completely different ideological worldview. And I think that's such an important thing to remember. And that's really when you're really reliant on people through the sharing economy, you learn to um, not personalize people's ideological beliefs. And quite frankly, probably a lot of people think we're psychos, you know, because we're so <laughs> ego or whatever, whatever they think of us. So, you know, it's really nice to, to be able to be put in these situations where you see the common humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like, and this is something actually what you just said that I, I talk about all of the time. I believe that fundamentally we are all kind people like everyone is kind we just have different upbringings different conditions that are stored in our being that this is how we are seeing things but as you say like some this person is kind enough to to give you a ride whereas another person that perhaps cares a lot more about climate change perhaps wouldn't do that and it's like is someone better than the other no we are just different But as well, for me, one of the interesting things of this lifestyle that you've been uh, having for the past few years is the fact that when we actually have the time to connect to someone and to talk and to go with openness in that conversation, not judging, just openness to be able to hear where they are coming from, what they are saying, and to find that common ground to understand like, ah, this is why you're saying this, or this is why you're saying this. It's one of the reasons why, for example, a lot of times I, like, being vegan, like a lot of times I hear a lot of a lot of people in, in my circles as well complaining about farmers. And, and although I understand why they're saying that, a lot of times I'm like, those people are doing the best that they can with their circumstances and with the guidance that they have been given. So unless something changes in their lives, they are doing the best that they think that they are doing. Like it's not that they are doing something for like destroying the land or harming some beings or for climate change. They are doing the best that they can and having the time to be able to to have a dialogue with these people. It's it's incredible. And with that in mind, I wanted to ask. Do you find a lot of, in your talks, a lot of resistance from people? Because I find a lot of times at the conscious action events that a huge amount of people are already open to to this kind of living and understandings. And there's always a small percentage of people in that this is all new. What's, what do you find in your events with that? And how do people respond that perhaps don't think the same way? 
I mean, I think a lot of people that come to our talks are quite self-selecting, you know, like people who choose to come to a talk called Reducing Our Household Rubbish, obviously people on some level who are interested in reducing their rubbish. Um, For us, though, actually, and we always like to remind people because they'll say things like, oh, you're just preaching to the converted and blah, 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 is actually our aim with the rubbish trip is not to convert people who think there's nothing wrong with producing rubbish. Our aim with the rubbish trip is to reach people who care about these issues but aren't sure what to do or how to start and and don't necessarily know the full scale of the problem and, and would like to know, you know, how to talk to people about it but also how to live without waste. So um, we're quite happy with the people that come to our talks in the sense that, generally speaking, I think most people who come to our talks aren't living zero waste, so there's mm. something for them to gain from that. So we're very focused on sort of critical mass theory. For us, um, you don't need to convert the entire population. Um, You just need to reach people who are broadly on board and and get enough of a a climate where reducing waste seriously is considered to be a normal thing to want to aspire to do. And that's when you start to trigger that cultural change that leads to policy change and regulation and so on. Yeah. there have been the odd times when we uh, are in a, you know, for a lot of our community talks, it's self-selecting, but sometimes we'll go in to talk to schools or we'll go in to talk to business businesses and that will be have been put on for the school or the business. And so there'll be a chunk of the audience that is kind of forced to be there. And it does change the dynamic a lot. And I'm not sure that I think that that dynamic change is productive, actually, to be honest with you. Because like I say, we're not there to convince convince people that this is worthwhile. We're there to support people who already um, agree. Yeah. Sorry, one second. No idea. Sorry. That's not good. This, sorry, is, this, sorry is, about that. this is part of the the lockdown and being able to yeah, yeah, the people reality. in the house and, and doing all of this. Yeah. Um, what's what's the so a lot of times when when I'm like actually like talking with with people with this is that and this is something that we talked about earlier. What how much importance do you give to the knowledge and how much importance do you give to the reason behind? acting with that because i find a lot of times that that when i'm talking with people especially when i go to some businesses or school when again i'm not talking to people that care about this i yes i give them a little bit of information about well this is how you reduce or this is how you refuse and this is how like the hierarchy of of reducing our waste but most of the time i go into like why do you care about this? Like, what is it that that you care about? And let's see how that connects to you doing this. Do you find a lot of times that when you're talking with people, where where do you focus more and where do people focus more? Well, uh, yes, that's an interesting point because, um, you know, a lot of, for example, a lot of documentaries with um, these kinds of issues that cover these kinds of issues, they so often focus on the issue, the problems, the terrible, sad, depressing reality of these things. Mm. And and then they might spend a couple of minutes at the end giving you a couple of solutions, but really it doesn't make up for this 
terrible feeling that you have that it's all hopeless. You know, sometimes mm. I've, I've certainly had that experience. And with our presentations, we, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to talk a little bit about, about the problems and the, the reasons and the motivations for us for, for living this lifestyle. But then we really wanted to focus on the solutions. And um, But then again, of course, as you're kind of alluding to, everyone has a different reason and a different um, yeah, a different reason why they're there, what they want to learn, what's motivating them. And so we have this two hour long presentation, which it, it started off as one hour and it got longer and longer because we did realize people did have all these different kinds of entry points, you know, like some people just want, want to come because they want to be more resourceful in their household and they want to learn how to make a lot of things from scratch. And so we, we cover that. But some people want to know what what can we do to lobby and advocate for um, policy change at the government level and um, you know what's the what's corporate responsibility issues around this and so we, we do cover some of those issues as well and, and I think again it's trying to weave that through with really practical solutions so that people always have an entry point whatever their interest is they have the entry point they can come back to the the reason of the you know the pollution and the, the harm that it's causing but they they have that access, that action that they can take immediately, whatever their interest is. But again, because most of the people who come to our talks broadly uh, want to reduce their waste, we presume that they've already worked out why they want to and what's important mm. to them. But for us, what's really important, and I'm, I'm quite a knowledge-driven person, so of course we sort of structure it a little bit around how we would like to receive the information, rightly or wrongly, um, but uh, for me, I need to know the details and I need to be accurate. That's really important to me when I make decisions. If I'm going to make a decision to change my life, I need to know that, that is gonna, that's the right thing to do, that it's worthwhile. For example, you know, like for example, not using plastic bags. Um, I'm not gonna switch to using paper bags unless I know that that's a better outcome. And it turns out it's not, reusables are better and I need to use the reusable X amount of times to break even with the amount of, so you know, I need to know all that information is really important to me. Um, so with our, when we talk about the problem, actually what we are doing is not convincing people that it's a problem. What we are doing is ironing out the common misinformation because waste and recycling in New Zealand is so complicated, so much information is hidden from the public, it's different across the country, and frankly, like, we hear the same incorrect um, things coming to us from the general public, you know, like, oh, it's pointless recycling, it all goes to landfill anyway. Oh, all the plastic is burnt in Malaysia. Oh, glass is fine because it's infinitely recyclable. Oh, paper goes to landfill, that's okay. At least it's not plastic, you know, like all of these things. So for us, um, we're providing that information as a way to arm people who do care with the correct um, knowledge so that they don't go on spreading misinformation around New Zealand too. So um, I guess that's maybe not behaviour change 101, but that's, <laughs> that's our motivation. Uh, no, and, and I mean, and, and it's right because this is one of the things that I find with a lot of people is that we we have a lot of misconceptions and we think that we might know and then it's like, oh, wait, like, actually, I don't. And, and being able to, to take that approach of like, of having all of these misconceptions and being like, oh, actually, this, like, also see it from here. So perhaps, yeah, that 
brown yeah. brown bag is not better than the plastic bag. And, yeah, and or it depends, that, right? Yeah, and it's something like actually like when when I started talking with people when they have when they started opening more and more at least here in Auckland of the refilleries and like and I see a lot of people like going and grabbing the paper bags and I'm like um like and like and I talk to some people sometimes in there and like well not now because now I need to maintain distance but like in normal like in normal times before I would be like hey like perhaps don't use that because you will need to reuse it a lot of times. And I actually, like, I, in my, I use a co-working space here in Auckland, and every time that someone came with one of those bags and they were going to put it in the bin, I just grabbed it, and now I have a bag full of those bags, and I keep on reusing them. Right. And I use them until, literally, like, there's holes in them, and then, of course, they are not worth anymore as bags. But then I, like... If it's a like actually like a uh, paper bag, then I compost it, so mm-hmm. I know what it is. Like I'm I'm doing a little bit of the correct thing, but I think yeah. we we are getting a little bit uh, like I mean it's almost an hour that we've been talking, which is awesome. But I don't want to take too much more of your time, so I'm just going to ask you a few questions that I that I ask and every every guest that comes to to the podcast. And the first one is, what's one resource that you would recommend to others? And this is tough because there are so many resources, but... Mm. I guess it depends what people want to achieve mm. um, if we're focusing on zero waste. Well, yeah, I mean, a big part of what we do is to provide resources for people to support them, um, you know, beyond our presentations to actually solidify some of these things and, and one resource that we've created and we maintain but we would love I mean we really love it to be a community resource is um, the zero waste guides for all of for every region of New Zealand and um, the kinds of businesses the kinds of community organizations and all of the options to help people reduce their waste what, what's available in a region we've just listed them we've put them on a map as well um, so people can find if they prefer that visual thing. So, um, and again, we want those to be um, compl- relevant all the time. We want people to to write to us and say, "Oh, do you know about this place?" Or you know, this place has um, changed their stock, or they changed their owner, and they've got a different philosophy, or you know, whatever. And so it's this it's this community resource to support people. I mean, like we use it ourselves as a as a resource when we're traveling. You know, oh, we're we're in. Um, you know, Timaru, oh, let's, let's look up our guides, where can we shop, that kind of thing. So, and we hope it's the same for other people. Mm. So that's one, one um, yeah, one resource we, we find valuable and hope others do too. Yeah, I mean, but there's so many. We're so lucky these days, eh, with the internet, you can pretty much find yeah. so many uh, wonderful resources, yeah. Yeah, but that's a good one. Like, I actually, like, I... When I was planning before of this, I was planning on traveling a little bit around the country, doing a few events and workshops, and and I was thinking like, oh, what do I need to do? And and I remember that I saw like a while ago that you guys had this this guide, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to use that. So it's actually a good resource. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, what is your one go-to tip? Um, we have like both a. 
psychological go-to tip and a practical one. And the first is in the area of lifestyle change, environmentally motivated lifestyle change, the most important first step is to make the commitment, whatever it is, and be really clear with yourself that that's what you're doing. So for us, it was we're going to live without a rubbish bin. And we committed to that because once you've made that commitment, then what it means is that you um, will find solutions where you might not have otherwise expected them. Um, if you haven't made that commitment, it's very easy to make excuses and say, oh, well, I forgot my cup today. So I guess I'll just, you know. Mm. Um, and in terms of practical tip, we always say the biggest thing that anybody can do to reduce their waste is to get organic waste out of their rubbish bins. So food waste, green waste and paper and cardboard, because that stuff going to landfill produces methane. Um, so, and it's so easily dealt with, just with a compost, a kitchen bin, or a worm farm, uh, and that will reduce the average bin by 30 to 50% overnight. And all of that stuff is a resource anyway. Why give it away? Why not use it, reuse it, regenerate the soil, grow vegetables, all those sorts of things? Yeah, which immediately connects you with the philosophy of zero waste, that there's no such thing as waste, only resources in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, uh, like so well said, because that, that's, I think, that in, the, in the view of how can we continue into the future, and, like, and I, I use a lot the circular way, like circular economy, and that is the understanding that there's no such thing as waste. Mm. Uh, in, in nature there's no waste everything gets transformed somehow so how are we going to be able to continue doing that um, yeah um, and what was your last small act of kindness well uh, interestingly you know with um with the move from level four to level three in new zealand with the um covid19 alert levels um Hospitality was allowed to open up and, and that meant a lot of takeaway, um, you know, outlets were able to sell their things. But that also meant a lot more of this throwaway, takeaway packaging. Um, and, you know, there, were, there, there is this tension there for, for people who, who care about the, the rubbish that's produced in those situations that we want to avoid the rubbish. But we also, you know, we want to support these local businesses, these people who depend on that for their livelihood. And. How do we, um, you know, how do we balance those two things? So we actually started doing, uh, we were inspired by some other people who are doing this thing called fakeaways or fake out. Um, and just, you know, making a meal that is like you would get for takeaways. So burgers and chips or pizza or curry or something like that. Um, and then we donate the money to a business that is doing awesome food related stuff or can't open under alert level three so we've donated to the common unity project in wellington everybody eats in auckland um pellet wholesome collective in whangarei which is an awesome vegan gluten free um uh outlet and um the rogan vagabond in wellington so far but yeah so we're doing a series of these posts so trying to strike the balance between not producing waste but still supporting businesses that are need our support. Yeah, and, and that's important because I I saw like and I assume that a lot of people saw the, the images of the first day of level three with all of these uh, rubbish bins overflowing with all of the takeaway packaging and and I was like ah okay. Um 
And then I started seeing like, likely that the government was starting to allow a little bit more like reusable. And and now and and if you can can you tell a little bit about the campaign with uh, throwaways takeaways so that people that are listening know a little bit more. Yeah, we're also co-founders of a campaign called Takeaway Throwaways, um, which we co-founded with um, Laura Cope from Use Your Own Cafe Directory. And so we, the campaign includes a petition, and we started it before the COVID-19 thing. Um, it's a petition calling on the government to phase out single-use disposable serviceware containing plastic, including compostable plastic. So that's, you know, takeaway cups, containers, cutlery, all that kind of stuff. Um, but not just to ban it, but also to um, mandate reusable alternatives at scale and to support uh, New Zealand to co-design those reuse schemes so that there's something to replace those single-use items with. So we've got a petition calling on the government to do that and we're pr providing lots of resources. And uh, at the moment, we're providing uh, guidelines for how hospitality outlets can provide contactless food and drink without using disposables. Um, and of mm. course, they're within their rights to ignore us, but there are options available for those who would like to give it a go. And yeah. there are lots of outlets who are now exploring these options, which is awesome. Yeah, because you know the campaign is, is based around a petition to government, um, and we would like government to take action on that because that would just transform, you know, it would it would level the playing field and everyone would have to, to do it, but it would make it easier to do it at the same time. But while we're waiting for that to happen, we just want to do everything that we possibly can to support people to make the transition, um, you know, to move away from single-use packaging or whatever, um, in whatever way they can within their budgets, um, within their constraints. So, yeah, we're really kind of just focusing on solutions, everyday solutions with that as well. So lots of resources on the website to, you know, for even from the smallest um, coffee cart, for example, up to, you know, stadium events. How can all these different kinds of situations um, reduce their single-use waste? Mm, yeah, and, and I think that is such an amazing, like, I mean, I've been uh, following the Throwaway Takeaways campaign as well as because of, of Laura from Is Your Own Cup. Like, she's just an amazing, an amazing so individual. Amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember like a few months ago and she gave me a call and she told me like, ah, oh, you guys, like, you should talk and like, you need to meet Leanne and Hannah. And, and I was like, okay, next time that you guys are here in Auckland, we'll meet. And like, and this, one of the things that I find with what, what you just mentioned that is so important is it's not only telling people don't do that, it's what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. it's, it's don't do that, but you can do this. Yeah, it's not just don't do that That's because right. it's not. Yeah. Well, yeah, and in fact, the legislation that enables the government to ban things, they can only do it if there's a reasonable alternative. Mm. So that that principle is actually also codified into our legislation. So mm. so yeah, we have to be solutions oriented all times and that's great that's a great thing to be forced to be I, you know love coming mm. up with it mm. yeah because it gives you an opportunity to be creative and positive yeah definitely okay a big one what's the one thing you wish the world knew mm. well actually that's a nice question to to tie with the last answer as well because you know if we're talking about what we shouldn't do what we should get rid of and then replace it with the alternative 
Um, a lot of people often think of that alternative as a sacrifice and, oh, you have to give this up, you have to give that up, It's a, you're more miserable, you know, you, you can't get that favorite um, sweet that comes in plastic packaging or whatever. But, you know, in our experience of making that transition to this alternative lifestyle has been so much more positive than we expected. Um, and in so many different ways, like even just practical things like saving money, um, things being simpler, eating healthier foods, but, you know, on a, on a bigger scale, like just feeling so much more fulfilled and more connected. Um, it's just been so positive in so many ways. We would just love for people to realize that, that a lot of these alternatives are better than the current way of doing things in so many ways. And, um, Sometimes you just have to go through with it to to experience that, and so you know, give it a go. <laughs> I don't know if you know about uh, Miriama Kamo, uh, the TV presenter who's mm. on Zero Waste. She is a great um, advocate for that. She's so good at articulating it that she tried Zero Waste for a month, and now she's over a year in, and she couldn't stop because she loved it so much. So, um, yeah, if you have a chance, or anyone who's listening has a chance to listen to her talk about it, it's exactly that. Yeah, we wish more people knew how beneficial this way of living is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true for me as well. Like, I mean, I, I started the path of living an alternative life from a completely different perspective, it was more of a spiritual one. And then that opened up to the living more like slowly and like low waste and vegan and this and that. And it's, it's just an amazing lifestyle. And, and I think that for people that perhaps have different circumstances, it's more challenging, as you were saying before, like if someone is a parent, then your circumstances are different in terms of making these kind of changes. But I I always recommend to everyone that is single or a couple that is young and don't have much responsibilities, like give it, give it a go because this is such an amazing way of exploring and living. And you know, if it doesn't work, you can always go back and find some work. Yeah. Like th this, this is one of the things that that I, I mean, I I I live a life that I know that most people wouldn't be able to if they are not choosing actively to do this. Because mm. as you guys were saying, like my relationship as well with with money, it's very different than with most people. Like a lot of people, when I talk to them and I tell them like how much money I have, they're like, "Why are you not freaking out?" <laughs> yeah. and like and I mean at different moments I have a little bit more and different moments I have a little bit less and, but still it's like why are you not freaking out and I'm like well because we don't really need that much like you need a lot if you're spending a lot but if you're not spending a lot then you don't need a lot and the more that we have people like you that can actually show other people you can travel around the country you can meet people you can still have a shelter on top of your head and, and you can have food and you can have amazing experiences and that doesn't require that much money. And I think that that's something that now a lot of people with the lockdown, a lot of people saved a lot of money. Like a lot of people are having a lot of issues financially as well, but a lot of people have been able to say like, oh, wow, like I'm having so much money and then supporting your locals and things like that. So yeah it's 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 an incredible incredible time because i think that there's a lot of re reshaping and 
and and resetting the ways that we've been doing. And now my my biggest thing is okay, like how are we going to move on as we go back to level two and then outside of this entire level is what is the the world going to look like or what are the cities or the country going to look like and are people going to take the learnings from this time or are they going to go back to the way that things were yeah and to finish to finish up guys what's What's the best way to to find you for people? Like I know, of course, now you're not on the road, but how can people get involved and and see what you guys are up to? Yeah, so uh, we've always been really active online, even when we're traveling around. So we're maintaining all of that presence on our website, therubbishtrip.co.nz, and also on Facebook, um, just The Rubbish Trip, and Instagram, The Rubbish Trip. Uh, and through Takeaway Throwaways as well, takeawaythrowaways.nz, and that's on Insta and um, Facebook as well. So that's the best way to connect with us. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, we're doing a few events online. We have, we're sort of featuring in webinars and, and panel discussions and that kind of thing. And so if people would like to hear us talk, we're not doing our flagship presentation over the internet or anything like that. It's more of an in-person kind of thing, but um, for the moment, we're all traceable online yep. <laughs> beautiful beautiful oh, thank you so much guys for for being here and for the work that you're doing for um, for the world and for everyone here at least in new zealand i i really appreciate like, people like you that that are actually passionate about this and want to share it with everyone and, and creating resources that are helpful so Thank you very much for that. And thank you for being here uh, and talking with me and spending the time. And I really hope that the next time that you guys are here in Auckland, that we can meet in person and, yeah. and connect. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you wonderful. so much, Brian. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Um, really, really interesting conversations. And it's been a great opportunity to really get into some of the some of the more meaty issues. And yeah, we really value these kinds of conversations. So. So thanks for inviting us. And thanks for all the work you do. Yeah, and we can't wait to come and see the conference action space um, awesome. on our bucket list of things to do in Auckland. So. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And yeah, I hope that everyone, uh, you took something from this episode. And if you did learn something, leave us a comment or or just make sure that you follow um, Diana and Hannah on the rubbish trip. Follow their trip and and follow, keep on following us on the next episode. So if you have something that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, make sure to let us know, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. What did you like the most about this episode? Take a moment to think about what change you can make in your life today. Share your conscious action on social media using hashtag conscious action and tagging at conscious action and set so we can celebrate your impact on the world and create a ripple effect. One easy action we would love for you to take right now is to share, like and subscribe to this podcast. This will help us get these messages out into the world and inspire more people to take conscious action in their own lives, contributing to the better world we hope for.